listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. Earlier this week, I received an email. I'd like to share part of it. It says, hey, Pastor Mike, I have a question that I hope you can answer. I was talking with one of the guys in my ministry team about our topic of listening to God. He believes that God speaks to people primarily through the scriptures, through the Bible, which I also believe, but it basically stops right there for him. He doesn't believe God speaks directly to people through the Holy Spirit, nor does he believe that the Spirit will direct us to do things such as buy a gallon of milk and taking it to someone for no other reason than being obedient to the Spirit. Once you get there, that person may say, for example, I've lost my job, didn't have any money for food. As my kids didn't have milk for cereal, God heard my prayer through what you did. I've heard stories like that countless times, and I have been an instrument in helping others through obedience. So yes, I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us while leading us to all truth of God. I believe that when we are truly in tune with the Holy Spirit, we clearly hear the instructions of God. So briefly, here's my response. I think the primary way that God speaks is through his word, through the Bible. There's no getting around that, no getting around that. I do, however, believe he also speaks through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but they always need to be confirmed through the word of God, and at least, if you don't have something that clearly teaches on that principle in the word of God, at least it cannot contradict the word of God. I get concerned when the emphasis is reversed and also when folks say it's one or the other. I think it's both with an important distinction on the emphasis. One of the most important issues that you have to settle as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've made it your ambition to follow Jesus, after coming to know Christ as your Savior, you must come to grips with what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. You must know how to be led by the Holy Spirit. You must be able to make a distinction. You must recognize the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit as opposed to something that you ate last night, opposed to a voice you might hear, but that might not be the voice of Almighty God, or a prompting or an inkling that you might bring God into that God really doesn't have much to do with at all. I can tell you as a pastor, so many people say when they leave a church, I felt that God led me on or God led us on. No, in many instances, it's not that God led you on. It's not that God led you on. It's that you did not want to deal with an issue of reconciliation. You did not want to humble yourself. So please don't invite God into the equation as the scapegoat. Scapegoats are biblical. They're in the Old Testament where they would lay the hands on the goat and it would go off into the wilderness area and symbolically represent the carrying away of the sin, where the sin was transferred from the person and the people onto the goat. That's how the phrase scapegoat arose. That's where the phrase scapegoat comes from. In the Old Testament, Israel, they would lay their hands on the goat, representing the transference of sin from the people to the goat that, that would then go away into the wilderness. The idea of sin would be taken away. Well, don't make God a scapegoat of something that you are responsible for. I can tell you that so many times people say, well, God led me. 
I felt like God was telling me, so God was telling you not to reconcile? That doesn't jive with the word of God. So God was telling you not to deal with a sin issue? So you just left one church and went to another church where people might not necessarily know you and, and get a clean slate, get a clean start. Well, you could have a clean slate anytime you want, courtesy of Jesus, if you're just honest and truthful with him. One of the things that Christians need to come to terms with is what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit, genuinely, truly led by the Holy Spirit? There are extremes. Some people that you talk to, they're hearing voices all the time. And they're always attributing that voice to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. Well, God told me this. God told me that. Other people have never had an experience like that, and it's all the Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and you never hear about the Holy Spirit at all. And so as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to come to terms with what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit because once you come to know Jesus as your Savior, as Lord of your life, you need to understand what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit because you will not follow Jesus unless you are led by the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? You will not follow Jesus unless you're led by the Holy Spirit. The only way to follow Jesus is if you are led by the Holy Spirit. And the only way to live a consistently significant, eternally significant life for the Lord. Notice I'm saying consistently. Anybody can be a one-off. Anybody can be used by God once in a while, even once in a lifetime. But the objective of a disciple is to be consistently used by God in eternally significant ways. The only way to be consistently, significantly, eternally significantly used by God is to be led by the Holy Spirit. It is not possible, listen, it's not possible to separate following Jesus from being led by the Holy Spirit. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must know what it means. You must know how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's why the passage that we're looking at today is so significant, because we're learning from a table waiter, Philip, one of the seven who was chosen by the church to wait on tables in the book of Acts, and he was a man characteristically led by and filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to learn something about the Holy Spirit, then it's a good thing to look at people, men and women, whose lives were characteristically filled with the Holy Spirit. And Philip is one such person. Turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, as we understand, as we learn what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is reminiscent of the Old Testament where the Lord would send one of his angels specifically to one of his servants or a servant who was about to be a servant, someone who was about to be a servant. And here we see something similar happening. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem. Notice again, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge 
and he was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip gets up into the chariot. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. It's from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? This guy is low-hanging fruit. He's ripe for the picking. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and, he, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip is a man filled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. And what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel everywhere he goes. See, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will tell other people about the greatest news they could ever hear, which is the story of God loving them so much that he would send Jesus as the substitute sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. One of the primary characteristics of somebody who's led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, you can put all that other debate to the side for a moment about what is the characteristic of being led by the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. The primary manifestation of a man, woman, boy, or girl who is filled with the Holy Spirit is that they will tell other people about Jesus. You see, it's not possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep your mouth shut about Jesus. We've developed in the United States of America a flip-switch approach to worship, a flip-switch approach to Christianity, a flip-switch approach to worshiping God. We think that we can do whatever we want to do for six days of the week, come to church on Sunday and expect God to show up and to experience him in deep, rich, powerful ways. Now, I know that God can do that. I know that God does do that. And I'm thankful that we love and that we serve a God who is consistent despite our inconsistencies. Can I get an amen for that? Aren't you glad? But as a follower of Jesus, the ambition of your life needs to be consistently walking with God, consistently giving testimony to Jesus. And in order to give consistent testimony to Jesus, you've got to be a person who is filled with, led by the Holy Spirit. 
It's not possible to separate those two. How do you know whether or not you're consistently, characteristically filled with, led by the Holy Spirit? Well, who have you been telling about Jesus? Have you been putting your lamp under a bushel? Have you been ashamed? Have you been apologizing for Jesus? Listen, I'm all for apologetics, but apologetics has nothing to do with apologizing for Jesus. We don't apologize for the greatest news that anybody could ever hear, that in Christ, Jesus became our scapegoat. God put all of your sin onto Jesus and took it away. It's another way of looking at it. So much symbolism throughout the Old Testament about the way God dealt with your sin and mine through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. If you want to give testimony to Jesus, you've got to be a person who is characteristically led by, filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate the two. This flick-switch approach to living our, our walk with Jesus is not a biblical one. The idea of the Holy Spirit, the idea of Jesus, the idea of God the Father is that you and I as Christ followers would consistently walk with God, consistently walk with God. And the way to do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, emptied of ourselves, filled with the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Word of God so that at the right time, in the right way, the Word of God comes up out of us and we're able to do what Philip did when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, and provide interpretation to this passage of Scripture that he didn't know what passage of Scripture that Ethiopian eunuch was going to be dealing with. He didn't even know that the Ethiopian eunuch was going to be even reading Scripture. But because Philip was a man who was immersed in the Word of God, he was able to interpret the Word of God when somebody else could not interpret it. And so one of the things you need to understand about being filled with the Holy Spirit, about being led by the Holy Spirit, is that you cannot be led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit consistently. I'm using that adjective on purpose, consistently. Remember, anybody can be a one-off. Anybody can be used by God once in a while, but you don't want to be satisfied with being used by God once in a while if you're maturing in your walk with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? More importantly, do you understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you through what I'm saying? The objective of a maturing Christ follower is that you understand that in order to follow Jesus, you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in order to be used consistently by the Holy Spirit, in order to be led consistently by the Holy Spirit, in order to consistently follow Jesus, all of those things are wrapped up together. Are we understanding that? To, be, to follow Jesus is to be led by the Holy Spirit, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not possible otherwise. In order to follow Jesus, in order to be led by the Holy Spirit, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to be a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who is immersed in the Word of God. You've got to be immersed in the Word of God. Now, we'll get there in just a moment, but let's back it up here. Let's begin with the beginning of what we started with here. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Some of you have a little footnote in your Bible where it says at noon. And the question is, well, they seem to be, that seems to be such a huge discrepancy. Was it down south or was it noon? Well, I'm going to show you how it doesn't really matter either way. 
to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, immediate obedience. Remember, partial obedience to God is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. One of the characteristics of being led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you are obedient to God when he speaks. Good thing that you can get into the practice of doing is to say yes to God before you even know what he's asking you to do. We do not follow God. It is a very bad practice to get into the habit of following God only when you think that what he's asking you to do makes sense to you because that makes you God and it makes him your servant. You need to say yes to God because of who he is and leave the consequences of where he might lead you and whether or not it might make sense to you up to God. Some of us need to break the habit of filtering. You know, anybody who you say to them, no filter, they don't have a filter, they just say whatever's coming out of their mouth. Some of us have spiritual filters that are very carnal and we need to break ourselves of that habit where our obedience to God is conditioned upon the sensibility from our vantage point, whether or not we think it's sensible. Immediately, Philip, led by the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, a follower of Jesus, got up and went. Now, it's interesting, when we come to Acts chapter 22, verse 6, Acts chapter 26, verse 13, we see that when Paul is giving his testimony about his conversion, which we're going to get into next time together, he says that it was about noon when that happened. Noon is a time of revelation. It's a, a time of revelation in the scriptures. And see, what we have here is whether the Lord is giving instructions about the particular road being in the south or whether the Lord is giving instructions to the angel of the Lord through an angel of the Lord and saying, rise and go toward the south. It's the same thing. Jesus and the gospel provide instruction and direction for life. Jesus and the gospel provide instruction and direction for life. I tend to think, here's an example where I disagree with some of the major commentators. It's okay, good people can disagree. I think that the correct translation, or there's a good case to be made for the correct translation being noon. Because what we see unfolding here, see, if you understand a thing or two about Jerusalem in that day, very small city. We would liken it to a very tiny town in the United States of America. Just acres in size, okay? So this road going down to Gaza, it's not like there would have been, well, am I going to take 83? Am I going to take 616? Am I going to take, you know, where you sit out, you get out MapQuest, you get out Google Maps, you get out Waze, and you determine the best route. If you want to go down to Gaza, there's the road. That's where it takes you. So I don't want to strain it now to swallow camels, whether it was the noon hour that was given or whether it was a specificity about this, this road that leads toward the south, the teaching is the same. That Jesus and the gospel provide instruction and direction for powerfully effective witness for Jesus and the gospel. And I do believe that it is possible 
it is possible for God to speak specifically to an individual, to instruct that individual or to instruct a family or to instruct the church specifically what to do and how to do it. And you say, that sounds like it's awfully dangerous. I know that. Just be careful we don't swing the pendulum all the way over here in a reactive way. And now we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's not the Holy Spirit you need to be afraid of. People say, oh, you know, we just need to trust God. I'm not concerned about God. It's his people that often concern me. You need to be careful about swinging the pendulum back over this way and coming up with an extreme view, which is not a biblical view. Here we have Philip. That If we read the book of Acts and we look at the earlier sections, he is a man characterized as being filled with wisdom and filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the characteristics that the table waiters, the seven table waiters in Acts chapter 6, they had to have. They had to be filled with the wisdom. They had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this man who is characteristically filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, an angel of the Lord speaks to him and says, I want you to go down this road into Gaza. Now, if he was disobedient and didn't take that road, what we're about to read, the rest of this would have never happened. If he had done it, perhaps, if it was the noon hour where he was instructed to do, to do this, people, commentators will say, well, I don't think it was noon because noon was not the common traveling time. Well, you just actually made a case for the uniqueness of the calling of God and how sometimes being led by the Spirit of God causes you to do things that you otherwise would not do culturally, normatively. If the normal thing was not to travel during noon, then it makes all the more significant that the angel was telling him, I want you to travel at the most unlikely time to travel at noon, and you're going to see what God is going to do as a result of your obedience. So either way, we can debate about whether it's the time or whether it's the location, but what we can't debate about is this biblical principle, that when you're led by the Holy Spirit, you are also led by Jesus to take the gospel and to take Jesus and to be instructed and to have direction on what to do. Jesus and the gospel provide instruction and direction for life. And look what happens here, verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. We see him being led by the Holy Spirit, being spoken to specifically. And then look what we have here also again. Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. You'd be hard-pressed to say that Philip wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit, that Philip wasn't led by the Holy Spirit. We see again and again and again the Spirit the Spirit, whether it's an angel of the Lord or whether it's the Holy Spirit, those are intertwined together. This man is led by God. He's doing things he otherwise would not do. He's saying things and being given opportunities that he otherwise would not have. You know, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, same thing can happen to you. You say things you otherwise wouldn't say. You go places you otherwise wouldn't go. You do things in ways that you otherwise wouldn't do. 
That's the characteristic of this spirit-led, spirit-filled life. Now, I don't want to suggest here that you've got to hear a voice from God, that you've got to be carried away. The implication here at the end of this section is it seems like all of a sudden, Philip is taken out of the picture. All of a sudden, he shows up in another city and has his way to Caesarea. I'm not saying that you have to you know, be teleported out of here to another location. I don't want to get into straining at gnats and swallowing camels, as many of us can do at times, the practical implication is this. The practical teaching is when you're led by the Spirit of God, you say things, you do things, you go places, and you bear fruit that you otherwise would not bear. And all of this is courtesy of Jesus and the gospel, providing instruction and providing direction through the Holy Spirit. And that's what you can expect in your life. Now, this does not mean that this is a a prescriptive passage of scripture that you need to have this happen in your life every day or it might not even happen in your life at any time in your life. It does not necessarily mean that it is prescriptive. What do I mean by prescriptive? It means that to to say that this is prescriptive would be to suggest, which I'm not suggesting, that every Christian must have an experience like this of being led by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're not spirit-filled. You're not spirit-led. However, it is to say that this is descriptive. This passage describes one of the ways that the Holy Spirit can lead an individual. Audibly, we don't get all the details about that, but it's translated into the English language, translated into the Greek language first and foremost. Philip hears the Spirit of God tell him to do something specifically. And Philip, being the man who is filled with wisdom, filled with the Spirit, does it. November 23rd, 1985, my first experience where I was living at 334 Townsend Street in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I had a room on the second floor. I was renting a bedroom up there, and I was going through a terrible set of circumstances in my life, really struggling, really battling over the uh, main issue in my life, whether or not I would get married. You know anybody who's had a major crisis in their life where God seems silent and you're calling out to God and you're asking him for wisdom, you're asking him for direction, and it just seems like God is on a, a break somewhere. He's just not showing up, just not speaking. And I sat down at the end of my bed. At the end of the day, it was about one o'clock in the morning, and I wasn't praying, I wasn't Seeking God at that particular moment, that instance, you know, some of us flick switch approach. Well, I'm going to seek God right now. I'm listening. I don't know why God doesn't speak to me. I think I'll have a ham sandwich. Later on in the day, I'm listening. Why isn't God speaking to me? Flick switch. God speak to me when I'm good and ready. Now I'm listening. What are you doing in between the times you're asking him for answers? Are you listening to him? Are you walking with him? Are you following him? I have noticed in my own life, I've noticed in the scriptures, Moses, hmm, tending his father-in-law's sheep. What's that strange sight? Why is that bush on fire not being consumed? I'll go over and check that out. He's just checking out a, a bush that seemed to be an unusual sight. God was calling a leader to deliver a nation. Abram doing his own thing. God speaks to him. The apostle Paul, when he was Saul, on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians, Jesus all of a sudden 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know about you, but I know in my life, probably because God wants to get all the glory, there is something to be said about you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all your heart, but there's also something to be said about the timing and the circumstances about when God will be found. That's left up to him. And I sat down at the end of my bed, 334 Townsend Street, as sure as I'm standing here right now, and out of the blue, I heard a voice for the very first time. I was not on medication for schizophrenia or psychosis, but it was an unlikely experience for me. And the voice said, Michael. And I said, yes, Lord. He said, are you willing to give up everything for me in the sake of the gospel? I said, what do you mean, Lord, I already have? Boy, did I ever get rebuked. No, you are going to give up a wife and a family for me. How can I debate with that? It's not like he asked me for my opinion. I said, okay, Lord, and the room was as quiet as it is when you go outside after a heavy snowfall, and it's just quiet and peaceful, and I got on my knees, and I prayed. I said, Lord, if that was really you, I ask you to confirm it. And what I couldn't deny is that the desire instantaneously at that same moment to get married and have children was instantaneously removed. So I knew it was God, but I asked him to confirm it. That next day, I had to get up and take a train into New York, to Great Neck, New York, and I had never done that from New Brunswick into New York. And so I got onto the train station and went into the train station, which was the very first place where I began preaching the gospel on that train station platform as a result of about a year later, God doing continued work in my life as a result of this. Got up onto those train tracks as the bell was going off, just made it onto that train, sat down, and I remembered what had happened that night before. And I said to the Lord, Lord, if that was really you, would you confirm it? Show me what it would be like to live a life entirely surrendered to you. Show me what it would be like to live a life entirely surrendered to you. Have my Bible that I was reading there. Indian woman got on to the train, sat down right next to me in the midst of this crowded car, and I was reading my Bible, and I was saying, Lord, would you please confirm to me whether or not that was you speaking last night, and would you please help me? And then I was interrupted by the Indian woman as I was starting to pray, Lord, would you help me share the Bible with this Indian woman? She interrupted me and said, excuse me, is that the Bible you're reading? I said, yes, it is. Do you have any questions? Yes, I do. I just ran away from a 15, 16-year relationship in India that I shouldn't have been a part of, and I want to know how to get back on track with God. She had made a commitment to the Lord many years earlier, and now, by random set of circumstances, was sitting down next to me. I shared with her the gospel, I shared with her the idea of surrendering her life to Jesus. I asked her, I said, would you like to surrender your life to Jesus right now? She grabbed my right arm, held on to it so tightly I thought the blood was going to be drained out of it, and said, yes, Mike, I'd like to do that. And so right there on the train, I led her to Christ, led her to surrender her life to Christ. And as I looked up after the prayer, there were people on the car looking at us like, what is going on over here? And she said to me, you know, I think that God sent you here to talk to me. Got off the train, had to take a connection 
up to Great Neck, didn't know exactly what to do through a long set of circumstances, couldn't find out which train was the right train to take, asked the Lord, Lord, two things, get me on the right train so I can meet my brothers, and number two, would you please confirm what it would be like to live a life entirely surrendered to you? I hear the bell go off, I hear the announcement come over on the train to Great Neck, ran down the stairs to get onto the train, got onto one car, and got off, ran down to the next car and got off because it was so packed. And at that time, you could smoke on a train. You could smoke, and I hate cigarette smoke. Don't you hate cigarette smoke? Come on now, don't you hate cigarette smoke? Kept getting off about two or three or four cars, and then the bell went off, this train's leaving. I just got on, hoped that I was on the right train, breathing heavy, this car was a little bit empty, went down to the end, sat down, and I look over at the guy sitting next to me, and he's reading a pamphlet entitled, First Steps to Christ. And sounding like a smoker, I'm all out of breath from running, I look over and I say to him, excuse me, I can't help but see what you're reading. Do you need any help understanding that? He closes it and says, as a matter of fact, I do. Can you help me understand what it means to give my life to Christ? And so I shared with him for the remainder of the train ride, he was a cellist in the New York Philharmonic. He gets off, his stop was before mine, and he stands on the train track, hands to his side, as the train pulls away, just staring at me. Not before, before he got off the train, he said to me, I think God led you here to talk to me. And because I'm so slow to learn and so thick in the head, I asked God, God, would you please confirm if that was you speaking to me last night? And then it was through a series many years later of other circumstances where I did not want to violate what God had spoken to me on November 23rd, 1985, that God gave me the, one of the greatest gifts I ever got, removed the gift of singleness from me, gave me that sweet thing sitting over there, my wife Janet, and delivered me from what otherwise would have been a miserable, lonely life of singleness, not just because I needed to be married to somebody. God made it clear I could not live without that woman, and I cannot live without that woman. God provided through her. And so I'm not sharing that story to try to impress you with me. If you knew where I was in my life at that time, you would be impressed with God. You would be encouraged about the fact that God could speak even to you. It's not because you've got a perfect life that's all together. It's because you have an imperfect life that is falling apart, that needs mending. And that mending and that wholeness is found through the person and the works of Jesus. And that God can and he does speak through the voice of the Holy Spirit. You just need to be careful that you don't get into God told me this without the biblical principle of confirmation. Super, super important. Gets me so concerned, so concerned. I think that was pretty confirming on the train ride for me. That began a journey for me of what it would be like to be entirely surrendered to God and not to be concerned and consumed as I was with getting married. You can have whatever it might be in your life. You can be concerned and consumed with one thing that will overshadow everything else in your life. You need to be delivered from that. You can be delivered from that, from being consumed 
Some of us are consumed with, I've got to have children. I've got to be married. I've got to have a better job. I've got to have a better house. I've got to have a better whatever. I need a different whatever. If only this. I'll start giving to God when I get more whatever. And it goes on and on. And in the meantime, you're missing out on being led by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God, content in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus and the gospel provide instruction and direction for life. And if Jesus leads you because you're surrendered to the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you hear a voice or whether you don't hear a voice. What matters is that you're simply led by the Spirit of God. Okay? Jesus and the gospel provide instruction and direction. Did you notice who Philip is led to? Look at this. Verse 27, he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Did you know that Jesus and the gospel are for all races? This is a black man. This is a man who was who had adopted Yahweh, the God of Israel, as his God, but he didn't know all of the ways of God, did not know Jesus as his Savior. We don't know whether it's a a proselyte, whether he was somebody who was a full-fledged worshiper and a Jew who was from Ethiopia, or if he was just somebody who had adopted Israel's God as his God. But he's black, and he's a eunuch, meaning that biologically, his body did not have the capability of reproducing. Whether he was born that way and became a eunuch, eunuchs were typically in charge of harems, of palaces. Why do you think they would choose a eunuch to be in charge of a harem? Take a wild guess. Or whether this person was made a eunuch through human hands so that he could serve as a lifetime of being devoted to royalty, we don't know. But the fact of the matter is that the gospel and Jesus are for all races. And we see that again and again and again in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, meaning a non-Jew, by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, Gentile and Jew, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility due to sin by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You know, before you come to know Christ as your savior, there's a hostility between you and God. You're hostile to God, God is hostile to you because there's an elephant in the room and it's the sin in your life. The elephant needs to go away. The sin needs to be removed. 
Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a huge thing that the gospel is going forth to an Ethiopian eunuch who would then go back into Ethiopia and the gospel, the complete understanding of who the God of Israel is, Yahweh, Jesus, would be furthered in Ethiopia, miles away. What if Philip had said to the Holy Spirit, what if Philip had said to that angel of the Lord, you know what, I don't think so. Ain't going down in the middle of the day to share anything. I don't care how good the news is. Is that a bit of bad unleavened bread that I ate? What is making me hear these voices? I'm not doing it. He was already a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit of God told him to do something that was very specific, very unusual, the pump was already primed and he was ready to go. How about you? Is that like you? Are you consistently walking with the Spirit of God, walking with Jesus so that whatever God might tell you to do, you're ready and you don't just automatically dismiss? See, I think in many instances, the Spirit of God is prompting people to do things and to say things and to go places. But if you're not listening for those promptings, if you're not ready, willing, and able, you won't do for God what he's asking you to do. You won't say for God what he's asking you to say. You won't go for God where he's asking you to go. See, a spirit-led, spirit-filled life leads to spirit-led, spirit-filled behavior. Jesus and the gospel bring instruction and direction. Jesus and the gospel or for every single race on the earth. And finally, Jesus and the gospel bring obedience. I told you we'd get back to this, and here we're going to get back to it right now. Verses 35 and 36, look with me. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, he told him the good news about Jesus, that this is a reference to Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Could you please tell me? There's no reference to baptism, water baptism whatsoever in the passage. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, the Ethiopian eunuch says, look, here's some water. How about if I'm baptized into the name of Jesus? Well, how did that happen? Can you understand? Can you see how the dots need to be connected we're getting the highlight reel here. We're getting the big picture here of what was going on. It's not possible to tell somebody about Jesus in all his fullness without eventually getting the topic of obedience through water baptism. What it meant for Philip to share with that Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus was to get to the point of sharing with him about baptism, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through water baptism and the, the symbolic washing away of your sin. What is the great commission in Matthew 28? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. 
baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, four-letter word, obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you to the ends of the ages, verse 20, right? Well, here it says that Philip is sharing with him, beginning with Isaiah 53, 7, and 8. Philip was obviously a student of the word of God. He knew how to apply the word of God. A spirit-led, spirit-filled individual is in the word of God. So you have a reservoir to pull from so that you can teach other people truths that they don't yet know. So you want to be led by the Spirit? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to follow Jesus? You cannot separate a consistent diet in the Word of God from following Jesus. And here Philip illustrates for us, the Ethiopian eunuch illustrates for us brilliantly that Jesus and the gospel require obedience. I think it's fascinating that in this story of Philip sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. No mention is made of the contents of that, but we get an understanding of some of what's included in there by the Ethiopian eunuch's response. Hey, I want to be baptized. In other words, water baptism was not a marginal thing. It was not a little thing. It was a big thing. It was part of this eunuch's spiritual journey. He was hungry for God. He was open to the Spirit of God. He was low-hanging fruit, and all God needed was for somebody who has had a track record of being led by the Holy Spirit, somebody who had a track record of being filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom, somebody who was immersed in the Word of God continually. That's the person that God needed to send on the scene to lead that Ethiopian eunuch to the feet of Jesus as his savior. Philip was a pump that was primed. He was already walking in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, immersed in the word of God, knowledgeable of the word of God so that when God wanted to reach that Ethiopian eunuch, he knew exactly who he could send. Philip was the man and Philip delivers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The gospel and Jesus provide instruction and direction for life. Jesus and the gospel are for all races everywhere. And Jesus and the gospel require obedience, knowledge about the word of God, familiarity with the word of God is supposed to overflow into the lives of other people so that they can be obedient too. The most important question you need to settle, the most important issue you need to settle once you give your life to Jesus Christ is how to be led by the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit? And this passage of scripture through God's vessel, God's instrument, Philip, shows us an example of some of all of the things that are involved in being a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who is led by and filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. 
there's no place else worth looking. 